Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My first experience with Sasquatch was when I was living in Wyoming, Michigan. I was eight years old. It was the last day of school, and I decided to cut across the plowed fields to get home and save about 20 minutes. None of the other kids wanted to come with me, so I headed off towards home. I'd always sing as I walk and not go into any depth. I learned how to mind speak at a very young age. As I was walking, I saw an old red truck facing me sitting to my right, out where the two fields met. The wheels were gone, as were all the chrome, windows, and lights. The passenger door was closed and the driver's door open about halfway. I looked at it and saw no one and walked around the back of it, not looking at it as I passed. 
He must have been laying in the cab and heard my singing. I got about twenty feet past it and heard in mind speak. What are you doing here? Like you would say if you locked up the dog and then found it sitting on your porch a few hours later. At that point in my life, all I knew was mind speaks with angels, and so I thought you must be friendly, and I turned around. I saw what I thought was a friend of my best friend's brother's. I didn't question why he could mind speak, because I figured everyone could if they wanted to. I started walking toward the truck. He leaned forward out of the driver's door window area as I walked. I asked, what's your name? Then I heard something like the word can. And I heard something like the word Keegan. I walked within a few feet of him, and he leaned out further. He was looking down just a bit, and I was looking up. I would say he was at my ten o'clock. We just stared at each other. His skin was like my mom's kid gloves. It was much thicker looking than mine. He did have freckles and red hair. His nose looked like my brother's, which had been broken so many from so many fights, that even after surgical repair looked flattened and broad. He had finished lips and teeth like ours. His eyes were a golden brown, and to me showed expression. I got the distinct impression that he was young, late teens. As we stared at each other, I started asking questions. Please remember, I was only eight years old. I first asked him in mind speak, how come your parents let you grow your hair so long? He didn't answer, but I could see a smile coming across his face. And then I asked, why are you allowed to go to school with a beard? Then, where's your neck? I can't see a neck. And with that, he broke into a smile. As I was going to ask another question, his attention was broken by something to his left. He looked back at me with a word expression and said, Go now. So, with power in the words, I turned and started walking away. I got to the hole in the hedge that separated the field from the street in a four-foot drop and turned around to wave goodbye. He had exited the truck and was standing on the other side of the cab. I was shocked that he was so tall. My dad and grandfather were six foot four inches. He was at least a foot or more taller. He was looking toward my right, but I could not see what was going on from the protection of the hedge. He was flailing his arms, and then he saw me standing there. He said, go now. Don't come back. And I said, you're mean. But I didn't move. All of a sudden, I heard someone screaming and realized it was me. He had sent what I would call a cloud of fear at me, and my body reacted. I turned around. I jumped down the embankment through the hedge and ran down the street to my house. When I got home, I told my mom about what had happened and that he had red hair, and I told her his name was Kenny. She said she would find out who he belonged to. That meant his mom, so she could smack some sense into him. Well, two days later, my mom came home from the store and told me she stopped at both farms attached to the fields. Neither of them had a red-headed son. My mom claimed Chickasaw heritage. She followed native beliefs and told me that Kenny was a forest person living in the woods. I told her he was nice at first, but then told me not to come back. She said if he had told me not to go back, then respect his wishes and do not go back there. That was that. Until that point, I believed that he was just one of the boys that hung around with my friend's brothers, and I have to add, he smelled. I would have told him he needed a bath. I was shocked about forest people, but I was pissed about not being able to go back to see him again. As years passed, I realized that he wasn't being mean. 
He was protecting me from whatever was coming from the woods. I got the impression that he was not where he was supposed to be either. Shortly after that, we moved out of the state. This whole thing is like it happened yesterday. I can close my eyes and see him clearly, and it happened in 1957. The fields are all houses now. I haven't heard of this happening to anyone else, but I'm sure it has, and I'm including it so they know they aren't alone. Two stories, both mysteries solved resolution, but both very creepy. Both took place on the California coast south of San Francisco, part of Half Moon Bay for the Californians on here. I'm a paleontologist, and while I was an undergraduate student, I spent a lot of time collecting data, rock samples, and fossils for a series of publications on fossil sharks, fish, birds, and marine mammals. I was at the fossil site, which consists of vertical sea cliffs, with somewhat shitty trails down to the beach, everyone, two miles. I happened to be where the easiest trail down opens up into a bit of a wide canyon that the beach sand fills. Highway 1 is about 200 feet uphill and about 300 feet away from the beach. Very short, and you can see the tops of cars whizzing away. I'm on my lunch break, and fortunately at one of the only places along that six-mile section of coast with cell service, this is 2006, so I've got a shitty Verizon flip phone that had virtually no service except this one spot. On my last visit, I could browse Facebook on my iPhone down there. I see a guy on a bike, far enough away, I can't tell his age. He's riding south toward Santa Cruz. He sees me and stops and stares. I keep eating. He disappears. I look back a minute later and he's about 100 feet down the trail, staring at me. He starts jacking himself off. I immediately pull out my rock hammer and brandish it to show that I'm armed and call the sheriff's department. I tell them I'm going to wait where I am and that they should call me or signal me when they get to my car to escort me back up to the highway. In the meantime, this guy has disappeared. I do not know if he is waiting somewhere for me along the trail, and I do not know if he knows the other trails well enough and if he'll follow me along the beach. I'm also trapped. I cannot go north because the tide is too high. About 40 minutes later, I see a sheriff at the top of the trail wave me up. On the phone, they indicate they caught the guy who claimed he was peeing. We went, found no pee. They warned him and let him go. Some homeless guy, apparently unarmed. This is about a year ago, same locality. I'm out there with my wife looking for fossils. I've always expected that someday, walking through the detritus that washes up on the shore of the Pacific, that I'm going to find a body or part of one. We're about a mile south of where I met the homeless masturbator, and I see a brown cardboard box sitting against the cliff, and it smells like rotten flesh, like sweet Jesus. Smells like a dead sea lion. The box is also sticky and covered in sand. It measures about eight feet deep and is about a 16 feet wide square. I know that as a scientist and uh, the son of attorney's judges, I need to uh, satisfy my own curiosity and be report anything serious to the authorities. So like any good scientist, I grab a stick and poke it to try and open it. Instead of opening, the whole thing jiggles like a giant slab of jello. 
My mind went to WTDFN and then immediately realized it was a slab of whale blubber. I've participated in a whale necropsy before, and you remove blubber with a two-person team. One holds a big-ass meat hook, and someone with a Norwegian whaling knife cuts a strip, typically one. Two feet wide, after the incisions are made, the knife holder cuts away at the connective tissue as the hook or pulls a strip of blubber away. The knifer then cuts the strip off into incremental pieces. Turns out this was from a sperm whale necropsy that had taken place about a week before. I'll never forget that fateful day when two of my friends and I went on a hunting trip in a secluded forest to chase after pheasants. Little did we know that this adventure would lead me to an encounter that defied all explanation and left me feeling both perplexed and mocked. As we set out on our hunt, we soon separated to cover more ground. I went on my own path, following the faint smell of something rotten that lingered in the air. Curiosity got the best of me, and I decided to follow the odor, wondering if there might be a carcass nearby. As I ventured deeper into the woods, the forest grew darker, and an uneasy feeling settled over me. The smell grew stronger, leading me towards a clearing where the sun barely penetrated the dense canopy of trees. It was in that dim light that I saw it a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered. The creature had a humanoid-shaped head with jet-black soulless eyes staring back at me. Its back was hunched, and its mouth stretched open as if it were screaming in eternal agony. My heart raced as I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. The creature appeared pale and sickly, almost anorexic in appearance, and its movements were unnatural and unsettling. As I observed it from a distance, it suddenly moved with incredible speed, almost as if it were gliding. Its leg joints were inverted and bent in the opposite direction, making its movement seem otherworldly and disturbing. Fear and adrenaline surged through my veins as I instinctively raised my rifle, aiming directly at the bizarre creature. My hands trembled as I pulled the trigger, the loud gunshot shattering the eerie silence of the forest. But to my disbelief, the bullet passed right through the creature, as if it were a ghost. The creature didn't react at all. It merely vanished into the darkness of the forest, leaving me puzzled and bewildered. When my friends eventually returned to the spot where we had agreed to meet, I couldn't contain myself. I eagerly recounted the bizarre encounter I had just experienced. I expected them to be as astonished and concerned as I was, but instead they burst into laughter, thinking I was playing some kind of practical joke. Their mocking made my frustration grow, and I couldn't understand why they didn't take me seriously. I knew what I saw, and it was no joke. But without any evidence to back up my story, I couldn't blame them entirely for their skepticism. As we continued our hunt and eventually returned home, the memory of that strange creature haunted my thoughts. I questioned my own sanity, wondering if the isolation and excitement of the hunt had conjured up some hallucination. But deep down, I knew what I saw was real. I may never find an explanation for that encounter in the secluded forest, and my friends might continue to laugh it off. There's a tall tale, but one thing's for sure. I'll forever remain intrigued by the unknown and the 
mysteries that lie hidden in the darkness of those woods. When I was a kid through my older teen years, I used to get what I called night fright. So my parents' house is in the middle of nowhere. They own 13 acres themselves, and they do have neighbors. But usually you only hear a gunshot, maybe yelps woo. You sometimes hear your neighbors, but rarely see them. So when I would stay at home alone, I'd hear music or talking. Music I didn't recognize, or voices I didn't recognize. I'd walk outside to see if I could find out who was playing polka music, which I did hear a couple times, but no music outside. I'd keep the dogs inside with me, lock the doors, and sit and watch TV. Then once my parents would come back, I'd tell them about it. They never heard it until after I'd moved out. My dad thought I'd imagined it. One summer night, he heard polka music in the house, never outside. I'd always decided it was my imagination. I never figured out who it was, but I sometimes heard it when no one lived in those houses, and never outside. This is actually something my dad experienced, and he told this story many times throughout my childhood because it's always perplexed him. Growing up, my dad loved to go camping with his friends. When he was about six, his parents let him stay in a shed with his friend in the friend's backyard overnight. They woke up to a pin-sized light zipping around the wall above them in the middle of the night. It was white, but about the size of a laser pointer. This was in the early 60s. They both got up and the light stopped on the center of the wall. The shed was steel. They put their hands over it and it disappeared. As they pulled away, it didn't reflect onto them. It suddenly jumped over to the other wall, and the same phenomenon occurred. They opened the door and walked around the shed, neither could find anything causing this light. They went back in, but as soon as they laid down, the light started zipping around again. They finally went into the house to sleep. They slept in the shed a few months later, and nothing happened. They never had an explanation for the light. So it was a year ago I was living in El Peso near Fort Bliss. Because my dad was in the army, I had gone to New Mexico to visit an old girlfriend and was driving home. Now if you're around this location, you know how long of empty stretches there are with only mountains around you. Anyway, I'm driving back in my father's old Beamer. He bought a new truck for himself and gifted me the old and reliable car. Now, as I'm driving, I watch a nice Monte Carlo slow down in front of me and take a right down a dirt path after a pass. Nothing strange at the moment, just that people are going hiking or something in the middle of the night. It was late, going on one in the morning. As I'm driving, the car breaks down, so I have to pull over. Pissed, I get out and check the engine, seeing if I can do anything. But it was too dark to get a good look, and I figured it finally died. I pop it in neutral and ride it far off the side of the road and figure I can call for a ride. Of course, no signal in the middle of the desert. So I figure, hell if I have to walk probably six miles to the next town, I'm getting drunk, so I get a bottle of Jack out of my trunk and start walking. Luckily for me, I grabbed it because it was freezing and it made up for my lack of warm clothes. 
I walk for maybe three miles when a car pulls up next to me. Guess what it was? Yeah, a red Monte Carlo. Inside are two guys, maybe thirty each. One with a ton of tattoos and looks a bit younger, and the other with styled black hair and a gold chain and watch. Had a brief conversation going something like, I, man, was at your beamer up the road driver with gold chain. Yeah, brother, piece of shit broke down. He looks past me kind of what you throw in the ditch when we pulled up. I had throw the bottle thinking it was a cop. Some whiskey. They both laugh and he says, shit, as you need a ride. I laugh as well saying, hell yeah, I get the bottle and hop in the back. These two sons of bitches drink their asses off driving me into town and get me plastered. Yet even in my drunken hasteness, I didn't fail to realize the tattooed one was sweaty, like he had been working and was covered in dirt along with something rattling. In the trunk while we turned in town, nothing happened to me except getting wasted in a ride to a near town and getting an Uber home. Yet I still believe that there was a shovel in the trunk and the two men just finished burying someone and were excited to find some alcohol to celebrate with. This took place in October of 2020. Myself, my brother, and my brother's eldest son were gathering the cattle and herding them to the mined homestead, where they could be loaded on trucks and taken to our home ranch for the winter. By this point, the weird activity on the ranch had increased, so much so that we never went to the ranch without being armed. This day was no exception, and strapped to the saddle under my left leg was a Winchester 3030 rifle. The morning went well, and by noon we had gathered 200 head, which we pinned up at the mine place. After eating a quick lunch, my brother and nephew loaded their horses and left. My nephew had a football game later that day. I stayed alone and rode northwest toward the Carter homestead. The first strange thing to happen was when I rode down a canyon. As I was riding, I could hear multiple howls and cries coming from all directions. I cannot describe what these howls sounded like because they were like nothing I had heard before or since. As I continued riding in the canyon, I was overcome with a feeling of dread. My horse, Ace, seemed to pick up on this as well and began spooking at almost every shadow. This was very out of character for him as he was usually a very calm and collected horse. The second strange thing was when I approached the Carter homestead. As I crested a hill in front of it, something jumped out of the old log cabin and ran in the opposite direction. I was still close to a mile away, so I had to use my binoculars to get a better look. What I saw through the lenses chilled me to the bone. It was a wolf, but it was massive and solid black. It was so large that it could be mistaken for a black bear, but it was undeniably canine. After seeing the wolf, my gut told me to turn around and come back later with company, but I ultimately continued. Throughout the course of the afternoon, I managed to convince myself that the wolf I saw was nothing more than a coyote, and that its black fur was just a shadow. It was nearing dusk before I arrived back at the mine place, herding thirty head of cattle in front of me. After I pinned the cattle up, I led Ace back to my pickup and horse trailer. From a distance, I could see... There was something wrong with the trailer, and as I approached, I found that the axle had come apart. 
It didn't make any sense to me as it was fine when I drove in, and there was no explanation as to what could have made it come apart when it wasn't moving. By this time, it was fairly dark outside, and as we were coming out the next day, I decided to unhook the trailer and leave Ace at the corrals overnight. When I left, I saw three blue lights near the corrals, but I attributed these lights to hunters, so I continued driving. I also heard some more of the howls I had heard earlier in the day. When all three of us arrived the next morning, we found the corrals in a total mess. All the grass was turned up inside the corrals. Where the cattle had been milling and the fence was broken in several places, the cattle that were pinned up the night before were nowhere to be found, along with Ace. My brother and nephew took off on horseback to try to locate some of the cattle and Ace, but only managed to find around 20 head. As I was without a horse, we repaired the trailer and left later in the afternoon. The next day, all three of us rode, and we searched exclusively for Ace. During this time, I covered a lot of country that I would have otherwise missed, and I discovered more bizarre things. At the bottom of one canyon were hundreds of holes, about one foot in diameter and three foot deep. These holes had to have been dug by people, as there would be no animal that would have dug them. I also found a bone pile, which was exceptionally strange. There were the carcasses of four cows, all piled on top of each other, in an area that they typically would not have access. At first I thought that this was the act of poachers who were illegally killing and butchering cattle at the ranch, but there would have been no way to get to this location with a pickup or a four-wheeler, for that matter. The more we searched, the less sense everything made. We searched for three days before we came across something. My brother radioed me, as there was no cell service, that he believed he had found Ace. My nephew and I rode to his location, and sure enough, at the bottom of a sinkhole. Sinkholes are very common in this area, so its presence was not unusual, was the carcass of Ace, along with three cows. The sinkhole was at the bottom of a canyon. With the walls of this canyon being 300 feet tall, the sinkhole being another 20 feet deep, it took an hour just to climb down the canyon walls. When I finally approached the sinkhole, I found Ace to be heavily mutilated. Both ears were removed, along with the eyes, nostrils, and hooves. The back half of him was not exposed, but it looked like his tail was also removed. The cows surrounding him also had similar mutilations. As was the case with the howls, the wolf, and the trailer, none of this made sense. It would have been almost impossible for just one cow to end up in this location, let alone three cows and a horse. There were also no tracks leading into or out of the sinkhole or canyon. The sheriff and veterinarian were both notified and an investigation was launched. The ultimate conclusion was that something had caused the cattle to spook and break out of the corrals, and whatever it was spooked them so bad that they ran all the way from mind, placed to the bottom of the sinkhole, in which they perished. When I mentioned the wolf I'd seen, they were dismissive, just as I had been when the hunters told me of the wolf three years prior. No foul play was suspected, and the case was closed. Though there were many strange things that have happened since then, there were none quite as upsetting as the loss of my horse. Cattle continued to go missing, and we now only ride the place in pairs. My brother and I are thinking about terminating the lease, as for the moment the current cattle losses are unsustainable. 
I've always been a big YouTube watcher and found that many stories on the site came from Reddit, so I decided to share mine. Though I don't have any pictures of Ace in the sinkhole, my phone was destroyed in an unrelated incident and I didn't have my files backed up. I do have pictures of a separate bone pile and some of the ranch. Two weeks ago, me and a group of buddies were having a bonfire out in Cuna, Idaho. I was feeling down that night, so I decided to unload my dirt bike and take a little night ride on some trails. I went alone and rode for probably three miles from the fire up on a hill. I sat up there for probably 45 minutes, and I was 100% alone up there. There was nobody around. From time to time, I would hear small laughter really close by. Sounded like two, three people. It wasn't constant. I would hear it every five minutes, and it kept getting closer. I had that funny feeling that I wasn't alone after all. So I went to go start my bike, and of course it didn't want to start. I was able to bump start it going down the hill, and it did not want to stay running. I don't think it sat long enough for the engine temp to drop all the way back down. I had to keep revving it to keep it running, trying to head back to the fire. The whole time I was really scared for no reason. I couldn't convince myself to go faster than five miles per hour, which was strange because I always haul ass. I have a light bar mounted on my bike, so I was able to see just fine. At first riding back, I thought I seen shadow figures in the corner of my eyes, but they would disappear. I made it back safe, and nothing else happened, but I knew there was something out there that night. I didn't think much of it until I heard my buddies talking about skinwalker stories in that same area. People tell me I got extremely lucky that night. I don't know what to believe. Who knows what was out there with me that night? The laughter, my bike not wanting to run, the feeling I had in the shadow figures are all things in common I saw from other stories. It was a strange night. If anyone on here is from Cuna, Idaho, and knows anything about Skinwalker and counters out there, feel free to reach out. My roommate and I were going duck hunting in the UP of Michigan and got turned around in a tag alder swamp on our way to our blind. We walked about a half mile and stopped to check the map and heard a blood-curdling scream yell. He asked what it was, so I told him it was a bird, and when we got to out blind, we loaded our shotguns and didn't say a word to each other until the sun came up. I've spent a lot of time in the woods, and I've heard a lot of strange sounds that could be solved by looking them up, but I couldn't find anything online about it, and none of my hunting friends, young and old, could explain it. It turns out there have been a large amount of Bigfoot sightings in the area, so we determined it was a squatch. There's an abandoned house in rural North Georgia where my dad lives that you can walk to from his house. All you can see from the road is about seven feet of an indent of what used to be a driveway. It's all overgrown. You have to crawl through woods to get to the house. So I had been in this house a lot. Took a lot of old books, newspapers from the 60s and 70s, letters from whatever war, really cool stuff. In the kitchen, there were also pill bottles with current dates. 
One time, and the last time, I went with a friend. We were crawling through the woods to the front door. I was ahead of my friend, and ahead of me, I hear the creak of the front door opening about five feet in front of me. I turned around, and we goddamn bolted as fast as I've ever bolted. Another time I was driving through Bum F. Mid-Georgia. What, 80? Five used to be before the highway was actually there. About every half hour was a town, maybe one stoplight every 20 miles. So me and an ex were driving through a tiny podunk little town, and I look off to the left at the buildings that were closed. It was the summer, and it was now twilight, so probably like 8 p.m. I see a building that used to be a ranch house, but it had two glass doors in front like a convenience store. Through the glass, I saw a woman in an all-white dress robe just standing there in the dark. I followed her as my ex drove the car past, and she never moved, turned her eyes, head, or anything. I still don't know what the hell that was about. Camping at a ghost town in eastern Washington years ago. Friends and I set up camp, got a fire started, and started making dinner. A few hours later, and quite a few drinks, we decided it was best to go explore this place. We heard the typical sounds the woods make at night. Nothing out of the ordinary. We went about a mile from our campsite, and we got this odd, cold chill. Just shrugged it off as it getting colder or the alcohol. We began hearing more, louder sounds coming from the woods. About the same time, we noticed what looked like two red eyes staring. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...at us from about 50 feet away and about 25 feet in a tree. No idea what it was, but it was big. Ran faster than I ever have in my life back to the site with my group. I am from the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. I live in Ashland, about 20 miles from Lame Deer. I have heard stories of the area around the grandmother's home. I have personally been witness to a deerman. It was about 2002 I was hunting on the big divide between Ashland and Lame Deer. I was glassing with my binoculars hoping to find a deer to shoot for one of the elders. I spotted what I thought was a whitetail buck. It was standing in a brush patch about 200 yards in a draw below me. As I was watching the buck through my binoculars, the body started to become clearer. It was a deer head on a muscular man's body. Needless to say, I hurried and got out of the area and didn't go back for quite a while. I have heard many stories of little men, but my only experience with them wasn't a full-fledged sighting. It was in 1997. I was house sitting for my parents while they were away one weekend. I was sitting in the living room one afternoon, watching television when I caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye. I turned toward the dining room window. I saw what looked like the top of a head popping into view at the base of the window. 
It looked like someone was jumping up trying to look into the window. I watched whatever it was for a good half a dozen jumps when I rushed over and looked out the window to see who it was. There was no one there. I immediately went outside and looked. I could not see anyone. My parents' house was in a rural area with not many trees or bushes. I should have seen who it was if it was a kid. Whatever it was, I estimated it had to be about three feet tall if it jumped up and only the top of its head showed over the windowsill when it jumped. A close friend also had encounters with a little woman near her house. She would hang laundry in her backyard. Then, when she went back outside to take the laundry down, some of the clothes and sheets were on the ground or missing. This occurred several times until she finally saw the little woman running through the yard at night. She believes that the little people on the reservation are invisible during the day. She described the little woman as being two half feet tall, brown, skinned, and wearing a long, colorful shawl around her. There are a lot of strange sightings and counters on this reservation. I was a witness to El Chupacabra's attacks near Canovanez, Puerto Rico, on two occasions. In the second attack, I caught sight of El Chupacabra's killing a large dog in a field behind my father's workplace. It was after midnight, and I was there helping him get extra work done. We heard the dog growling in the backfield. I went to look and saw a four-foot-tall thing, very ugly, that I had never witnessed before. The dog was keeping its distance from this thing, when suddenly it leaped and attacked the dog. It took only a few seconds as it ripped the dog apart. It never made a sound. I quickly ran into the shop and told my father what I saw. He had a pistol and walked out to see what was there. The only thing that remained was the badly mutilated dog. I was sure it was El Chupacabra's. There was talk of this creature for several days. It looked like a weird man in the distant shadow, but had a lizard head and hairless dog body up close. The large dark eyes were very strange, and it used its teeth and long claws to rip apart the dog. I have read recently that many researchers consider this to be a legend, but I will state that it is a completely true creature. Those sightings outside of Puerto Rico and South America, I feel, are bogus and maybe just dogs. When I was around 12, 14 years old, I used to ride my quad literally everywhere. My town was literally on top of a cliff, overlooking the river, next to a decent amount of woods. These woods were filled with Native American artifacts. It wasn't well known in fear that an archaeological group museum would come in and clear the land for anything that was left. There was also a burial ground the locals were trying to preserve. Plus, I think it may be illegal... Anyway, there were still people who would dig next to the quad trails trying to find these artifacts. To dig for these artifacts, you need to go about less than a foot into the clay, and usually that's where they'd be. To do this, you only need small gardening tools, hand trowel, hand shovel, etc. You wouldn't use anything bigger because you'll dig too deep. While I was riding my quad one day with my friend on the back, I came around a tight corner with no view what was around the the turn because it was so grown in, going way too fast because I was just a reckless kid. I came to a dead stop when a man was in the most misplaced spot right in the way of the 
trail. This isn't the biggest town, and growing up there my whole life, there wasn't many people I didn't know, especially in the woods because it was my frequent hangout, and, I, and I've never seen this guy before. This trail was up above the trail where people normally dig, on the very top of the cliff, overlooking the river, where anyone would know not to dig for artifacts because it's too rocky. This guy was just as startled as I was. He nervously locked eyes with mine, and we just stared at each other for a couple seconds. He doesn't say a word, I don't say a word, because he was creepy as hell looking. And then he nervously blurts out, I'm digging for arrowheads. I think I just gave him a head nod, and because he was blocking the way I put the quad in reverse, and started backing down the trail slowly, keeping eye contact the entire time. I took notice to the fact he had a regular wooden-handled steel digging shovel with two large black garbage bags behind him that were definitely filled with something. He had already dug a pretty big hole, I'd say at least three foot deep and five foot wide. The tone in his voice was like he knew I didn't believe for a second he was digging for arrowheads. Nobody that knew they were there was that unformed on the tools needed to find them. Me and my friend both thought what was in those bags, but as kids we kind of brushed it off and went about our day. It wasn't till a year or two later I really thought about it, and I went back to the spot, I guess, to dig them up and find out I don't quite remember what my intentions were. That location was so grown in I couldn't pinpoint exactly where he was standing, so I never did find it again. I tried a couple more times later, but nothing ever came out of it. Until this day, I always wonder why that guy was so shady if he was burying a human body or body parts. If so, he was smart because people didn't venture up there, and he knew it would only become more grown in. As a child saw a ghost of what looked like either an elderly miner or a farmer, except wearing a striped cap like railway workers wore in the 30s. In a section of our home's basement, which was being extended, the opened-up area was about 10 feet wide and equally deep, was still mostly filled with dirt except for where the foundation had been knocked out to add the expanded room. He just sat in a crouch looking at me. I was about 10, and of course my family wrote it off as me being afraid of the dark, which I was. Years later, my mom saw him too in the finished room. No idea who he was or why he was there. He never spoke. Still curious almost 50 years later about why he was there. When I was at university, I had my crush over to watch a movie. It ended around midnight. As we were walking out of my living room, I turned off the lights and gave her a hug. She buried her face in my neck, one of those cute sort of hugs. When she looked up, she froze with her face just visible out of the corner of my eye. She had the most terrified expression, and her arms just locked me in place. Never been that squeezed, crushed before. I'm kind of chill at first, like, okay, this is weird, but not that weird. Then she just starts trembling and crying without moving her face at all, and I'm just stuck there, convinced she is seeing someone, something over my shoulder. I start pushing her away and saying, this isn't funny, what the EIF. She doesn't let go, and this goes on for two minutes straight, 
Meanwhile, I'm just repeating what the you, what the if, over and over, convinced I'm about to get stabbed or possessed by whatever the F she is staring at. She gave a shudder at the end and just glanced at me with a look that said, What's gotten into you? I say, What the F just happened? And she just stares at me blankly like she has no idea what I'm talking about. I told her she needed to leave and then I drove to spend the night at a friend's dorm room on the floor. Never been so freaked out in my life. For anyone wondering, I did see her again and more shit happened, but never to that level of creep show. I'm a softie at heart, and I figured the girl just needed help or had some level of emotional instability. We were in Skykomish overnight in July 2007 for an event and there also happened to be some kind of town reunion, so the hotel was full. My youngest was almost one and woke up crying and simply would not stop, which was unusual for her. I grew concerned that she would wake up people in the rooms nearby, so went out to the car to drive around a bit, thinking that might soothe her to sleep. Skykomish is a tiny mountain town on Highway 2 along the Skykomish River, and the railroad does stop there for freight. It consists of a four-block square of streets and a bridge crosses over the river to Highway 2, which I would not cross since I didn't want to be on the highway at night. Around and around, slowly and with the window down as it was warm, I drove the square while my baby was quiet, but she would immediately cry if I went back to park at the hotel. Back we went, and the entire time I could hear the frantic cries of birds yet could never see them. This twittering never stopped, and it didn't sound like bats, yet I still don't know what birds were crying in the dark like that. The strangest part was that I could drive alongside the rail yard in full view of the trains, tracks, and buildings where I could hear clanging and men talking, which seemed comforting except that I never spotted a single person. There were lights and train engines were running, yet all this bustling activity never revealed the sight of a single person. The worst part for me was that my baby never did go back to sleep until after daybreak, so I was out the entire night among all the unnoise. As I said, I don't think it was supernatural, but I wish I knew what the sounds were. I thought of it a couple years ago when a young woman named Gia Fuda disappeared there and was feared dead, yet was found eight, nine days later alive, sitting naked next to the river with no memory of where she'd been. I will never stay overnight there again. I'm from Oslo City in Norway. But when I was a teenager, we moved to a bit more remote place, about 30 minutes outside the city. Mostly houses and woods and moose, badger, fox, wolf, and lynx around, but mostly lots of roe deers, whose way used to humans. No farms and stables in the nearby area. No homeless people in the teens who snuck out usually hung around the mall to steal fresh delivered Napoleon cake from the bakery's loading dock. We lived quite central by a mall, school, and such. There was a small forest behind our house, maybe five-kilometer radius. One summer, two friends and I went camping for one night in the small forest. We were 14, 15-years-old girls. There was a bonfire place about 100 meters from my house, where we put up the tent. 
The ground is packed tight and has this hollow sound when you walk on it. The tent was big for three and kind of round, so it would be hard for someone to reach the top without collapsing on the tent wall. And it was an old tent, and the fabric was quite rotten. It did not rain that night. We did not bring any food or food equipment except candy that we had inside the tent. What happened? We sat up gossiping and eating candy until midnight. When we tried to sleep, we heard hooves walking beside the tent. We laid still listening, pretty sure there were curious roe deers. But it was also this rattling sound of metal that seemed weird. Not like tin cans, but just like night armor sound from movies. Suddenly it started to blow up with strong wind, and we started talking to easy atmosphere. The hooves and metal sound reminded me of a knight on a horse. Then my one friend said that sounds like two knights. We brushed it off as roe deers, but we never heard them leave. We kept talking when suddenly the wind ripped open a huge gash in the middle of the tent roof, right above me, in strong light, can only describe it as a lightning, came through the opening. We screamed and the wind stopped and the light disappeared as quickly as it came. We didn't hear anything around us. It was dead silence. No sound of footsteps or hooves. No sound of helicopter or anything. We just looked at each other and panicked out of the tent and run to my place for the rest of the night. Went back next morning and took down the tent and looked around. Found nothing that could help us figure out what happened. We did not drink or take drugs that night. My parents slept, so it couldn't be them messing with us. I've been much around in this little forest in my teens. Never experienced weird things before or after. In the aftermath, we nervously landed on some kind of rare lightning and roe deers with one foot in a metal can. But we didn't believe that either. One year ago this weekend, I took a solo backpacking trip to the Otter Creek Wilderness in West Virginia. Plan was for 16-mile loop over one night. Due to the impassable river, I put camp up about a mile in. Beautiful spot with campsites along river, wonderful weather. I hung out, hiked around, and enjoyed the solitude. I had not and did not see another person since entering the forest roads. Mid-afternoon, I decided to lay down in the tent and just relax, nap. I'm awoken after about 45 minutes by the sound of a metallic clattering, closest description. Take a round fire pit or large grill grate and drop it on its side, and it's close. Of course, I assume other people. Nothing. No sign of anyone anywhere and nothing in the area that could be counted for that sound. Curious and confused, I go about my day. Later, explored more dinner, fire, and enjoying the forest night. Around 9.30, I heard a distinct single knock come from the hillside above me. As I turned to shine flashlight in that direction and saw nothing, another single knock came from over my left shoulder, closer to the river. I don't think it was across river, as it was pretty clear. Suddenly feeling not alone, I packed up and headed out, slept in my truck with no other issues. I'm well aware of knocking reports. Anyone have anything similar to the metallic sound experience? My name is Adam. I'm a Navy SEAL, 
a warrior forged by sweat, grit, and a relentless pursuit of excellence. Home is where my heart lies with my loving wife and two beautiful daughters. They are my beacon of light amidst the darkest of storms, my anchor in turbulent seas. The serenity of a quiet evening was shattered by the shrill ring of a phone. I knew what it meant. Beauty was calling. A quick goodbye kiss to my girls, a firm embrace with my wife, and I was off, boarding the Black Hawk with my team of eleven hardened seals, men I trusted with my life. Our destination was an oil rig in the middle of the ocean, a mechanical behemoth now shrouded in unnerving silence. All communication had abruptly ceased, and it was our job to find out why. As we landed on the rig, we were met not by the expected crew, but by something far more terrifying, an unknown aquatic creature of monstrous proportions. Its scales shimmered with a menacing iridescence, its eyes burning with a predatory intelligence. The rig had become its kingdom. We, the invaders, were met with relentless fury. The creature lunged, its vast form whipping through the air, and my brothers fell one by one. The rig, groaning under the strain of the battle and the creature's monstrous weight, was a ticking time bomb ready to explode at any moment. In the midst of the chaos, I remembered my training. A creature of the ocean would likely have a sensitivity to sound, a weakness we could exploit. I rallied the remaining men, directing them to create a cacophony. We fired into the metal walls of the rig, the deafening echoes reverberating through the structure. The creature, disoriented in invisible pain, retreated, fleeing back into the depths from which it came. We, the surviving two, were left amidst the wreckage of the rig. The bodies of our fallen brothers, a stark reminder of the cost of our victory, we returned to base, the grim silence filled with unspoken grief. Ten of my brothers had fallen, men of honor and courage, but we had survived, had fought an unknown terror, and emerged victorious. As I embraced my waiting family, their joy was tinged with sadness, a reflection of the heavy price of the duty we bore. I work as a ranger at the Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona, and let me tell you, it's an incredible job. Not only do I get to witness the breathtaking beauty of nature, but I also have the opportunity to meet fascinating people from all walks of life. The park management takes great care of our accommodations, ensuring that our rooms and stations are comfortable and well-maintained. They even renovate them every year before the massive tourist rush. And the meals they provide are not only delicious, but also fulfilling. I genuinely love my job. You may be aware that the Grand Canyon National Park shares a boundary with the Navajo region. As I patrol that side of the park, visitors often ask me if I've had any strange experiences, or if the Navajo people are spooky. According to our training sessions and briefings, the Navajo prefer to keep to themselves, which is why I haven't encountered them near the park or at least I hadn't until the other day. It happened when I saw an older Navajo man around 70 years old near the park. He had a hunched back and was dressed in the typical Native American attire. Curious and concerned, I approached him and asked if he needed any assistance with navigation. He appeared lost. 
but as soon as I spoke, his eyes opened wide, and he grabbed my hands with an unexpectedly strong grip that even caused me some discomfort. I didn't expect the old man to possess such strength. With a firm hold on my hands, he pulled me closer, so we were staring directly into each other's eyes. His voice became hushed, and he spoke in a mysterious tone. He informed me that he had been searching for me since that morning and had only just found me. Bewildered, I asked if I knew him, but he dismissed that question as irrelevant. What he said next sent chills down my spine. He claimed he was seeking me out to warn me about my impending death. I was left speechless, unable to comprehend what he was saying. I repeatedly asked him who he was, trying to make sense of the situation. At that moment, I thought he must be delusional, given his age and the fantastical nature of his words. I shrugged off his warning and decided to guide him back to the gate that led to the Navajo region. As we approached the gate, I noticed some other Native Americans waiting for the old man. To my surprise, as soon as they saw him with me, they rushed toward us and swiftly whisked the old man away. Their speed and urgency made me wonder what was really going on. I watched them disappear into the distance and returned to my daily duties, dismissing the encounter as an eccentricity of the old man. The rest of the day was uneventful, except for helping a couple who had lost their child in the park. Thankfully, we located the child after a thorough search. After sunset, I went back to my unit, took a break, ate some food, and tried to relax. I was lying on my bed, engrossed in a book, when I heard a distant shriek. Although faint, it caught my attention, and I instinctively turned towards my radio, anticipating a message about the sound. But the radio remained silent. I waited for a few more moments, but there was no response. Shrugging it off is perhaps a trick of the wind, I returned to my reading. However, the same sound echoed through the night, this time louder and closer. Without hesitation, I sprang to my feet, already preparing myself for action. I thought maybe I was the only one who heard it, which seemed strange. Leaving my firearm behind, I rushed outside, following the direction from which the sound seemed to originate. It was a dark night and the silence intensified the rustling noises that came from a distance. The shriek echoed once again, this time sounding like an injured animal in distress. I proceeded cautiously, moving slowly toward the source of the sound. As I neared the spot, my heart raced and a chill ran down my spine. Something emerged from behind a tree, and I struggled to find words to describe what I saw. It was a figure, bent down on all fours, growling with drool dripping from its mouth. Instinctively, I reached for my flashlight and directed its beam toward the creature. What I saw in that moment sent shivers through my entire being. The creature hissed and locked its black, menacing eyes onto mine. Its gaze pierced through me, leaving me paralyzed with fear. I turned on my heels and sprinted back toward the safety of the ranger station. Panic consumed me as I realized I had left my firearm inside, but there was no time to retrieve it. The only thought on my mind was reaching the station and securing myself inside. I barged into the station, slamming the door shut behind me. I made my way to the security room and quickly checked the surveillance cameras. One of the cameras focused on the area outside the station, and to my horror, it revealed the creature chewing on something. I couldn't make out the details, but its inhuman action sent a shiver down my spine. I remained inside the station, glued to the monitors until the creature disappeared from sight. 
moving away on all fours. Only then did I double, check all the cameras to ensure it was truly gone. Feeling a mix of relief and lingering unease, I stepped outside and hurried straight to my room, locking the door behind me. The following day, I gathered the other rangers and shared the harrowing experience with them. We reviewed the recordings from the previous night, and their reactions mirrored my own fear and disbelief. From that moment on, we became extra vigilant during our shifts, especially during the night. However, the creature never made another appearance, leaving us to question the nature of what we had encountered. But what haunted me even more was the memory of the old man who had warned me. His words echoed in my mind, refusing to fade away. Had he known about the creature... Was there any truth to the stories he had shared? I couldn't shake off the sense of foreboding that lingered within me. Now, as a ranger at the Grand Canyon National Park, I remain on high alert, keeping a watchful eye on the surrounding wilderness. The beauty of the park continues to captivate visitors. But deep within me, I know that there are mysteries and dangers lurking just beyond the veil of its majestic landscapes. And as I continue my duties, I hold on to the memory of that encounter, a constant reminder to stay vigilant and respect the unknown forces that may dwell within the shadows of the Grand Canyon. I'm choosing to remain anonymous for this account. I was driving eastbound on Pleasant Hill Road, about one and a half miles west of Highway 164 in Richfield, when something caught my attention on the side of the road. Curiosity peaked, I decided to slow down and take a closer look. I stepped out of my car, shining my flashlight into the darkness, and that's when I noticed something in the trees. Two large eyes were staring back at me, positioned high above the ground. It took me a few seconds to trace those eyes down to what appeared to be legs. The creature stood there motionless, illuminated by the light reflecting off its eyes. As I observed the figure, I couldn't help but notice its towering height, well over seven feet. It was covered in fine hair and had long arms and proportionally large legs. The creature stood upright like a person but had the legs of a dog. Strangely, there was no sound at all, just complete silence surrounding this enigmatic being. After observing it for several seconds, I returned to my car and drove off, fully convinced of what I had just witnessed. I can say with 100% certainty that it was not a bear or anything similar. Having encountered bears during my off-duty bear hunting excursions, I was familiar with their appearance. This creature had a distinct canine-like resemblance that set it apart. The area where this incident occurred is known for unexplained sounds, including peculiar cries and screams emanating from the forest. Interestingly, a close friend of mine also reported seeing two large figures with fur in the same vicinity. These figures were standing near a tree on the south side of the road, close to the shoulder. The road in that area is curvy, and my friend noticed eyes shine from these figures. He estimates that he observed them for about three seconds as his headlights illuminated the scene. He, too, is absolutely certain that he witnessed something unusual. Overwhelmed by the experience, he immediately called me while still driving. Around 45 minutes after his call, I joined him, and we returned to the site. 
We brought our dog along, but every time we approached the area where the sighting occurred, our dog started whimpering and refused to go any closer. As we neared the spot, something suddenly startled us from behind. A loud growl emerged from a single location next to the road, then moved into the nearby trees where it seemed like two animals were engaged in a fierce fight for about five seconds. We were taken aback by these disturbing sounds. It felt as though the creature or creatures were displaying aggression. We decided not to proceed further and stood there for a while listening to the eerie silence of the woods. Realizing that we needed to leave the area swiftly, we quickly got back into our vehicle and drove away at top speed, making sure we were out of the vicinity in case any more disturbances occurred. I called my friend as we sped down the road, seeking solace in the fact that the noises had ceased. I appreciate you taking the time to read this lengthy account. I wanted to ensure that you had all the information necessary to understand our experiences.